0: this show about to go jeremy lee get it done this hobby is a lifestyle bro y'all know this hobby is a lifestyle bro let's go best guests in the industry you gonna see it tonight we gonna keep up with this energy of sports cards live y'all know it's a lifestyle y'all know that we live now welcome to another episode of sports cards live and after hours with your host jeremy lee Well, that's the first time y'all have heard that. So maybe the second time I've heard it. Little A uh, little, little new jingle we have uh, from from my friend, Sean, from Victory Investment, sent that to me a little while ago and uh, thought we'd give it a try. There we go. All right, let's get into it. Let's bring out our guest for After Hours on this July 2nd, 2022, Mitch Grotman and his father, Al Grotman. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you guys doing tonight,
1: Mitch? How are you? doing great thanks for having me. i'm excited uh, to finally be on the show I've Been uh, watching the last few episodes and uh really uh enjoyed what you're doing here thank
0: you thanks good good to have you al what's uh how are you doing
2: i'm doing great i'm excited for tonight's episode
0: awesome and i can hear you really well that is great that is good 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 all right yes um i want to talk i want to just talk a bit about the episode we just did with les yeah you know if you guys were watching any takeaways you had but uh the Dream says the new intro music is sick. Yes. And uh thank you, Skeppy. Thank you, The Dream. Uh, Jake Dahl, good to have you here. Um, yeah, so guys, uh, were you able to watch that last episode with uh with
1: Les uh Edwards? Yeah, uh I, I caught most of it. Um you know, I, I, obviously Les's collection is uh unbelievable. Uh, it's one of my favorite collections just to look at and appreciate. Um, I think we do have uh, obviously my collections very different, but we have very similar uh, taste in what we like in uh, sports cards and particularly with uh, on card patch autographs as being supreme over all other types of cards. Over a supreme
0: over all other types of car. And that's a fair comment. I mean, especially if that's what you love. Al, did you uh, get a chance to watch that last episode?
2: Yeah, my biggest takeaway was he was insane to send that much money to China. And right? like, I would have, I would've went with you, I would have flown there myself to get the car in person.
0: I would have flown there and just waited in the airport for the next flight home. If it was the next day, I might have left the airport to do some sightseeing. But yes, I definitely would have done that. As well, So so you guys are father son and you're both in the hobby, but it's kind of funny because Mitch, you are a you're a modern current collector, you know, you're a young guy, and your dad, and, and you also have a pretty good um, presence on Instagram and Twitter. I follow you on both. I see you posting a lot on both. You're a real active hobbyist. And then as I just learned the other day, your dad is like a hobby veteran, like he's been involved in this hobby since the eighties, Al, I believe, and really involved as a, as a distributor. Um, I believe you were, you know, in the nineties, you were one of the biggest dis- distributors of sports cards in, in the U.S. You were one of seven tops master distributors. I mean, listen, we're gonna get into, Mitch, your cards and collection, but Al, just tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got into that business back in the day. The, the,
2: how I got into the business was, I was actually on my way to Las Vegas and I had a large container of coins in a jar and I was dragging him to the bank to cash him in, to have some gambling money. And as I walked by this office, it said video fun enterprises. They were distributing Nintendo, Nintendo eight bit had just come into the marketplace. They were going to Toys R Us buying the games for full price and then reselling them to video game stores, uh, and blockbuster video, et cetera. And, um, I decided I would talk to the owner because I was into the card market, and I said, "Have you ever so- sold baseball cards?" And he said, "Baseball cards. My customers want baseball cards to sell as well." So I got—I went to Vegas that weekend, and I, when I got back, we started Sports Line Division of Video Fun Enterprises, where we were calling on primarily rental stores of uh, rented out video uh, video games and, and movies like Blockbuster, and the smaller stores as well, and started calling them and selling them boxes of cards. We started with Pro Set and Skybox and Tops, Upper Deck, et cetera. And it just grew and grew and grew because the market at that time was, it was, this was in 1989. And the market was just growing and growing. And we established a nice distribution network. And that's how I got into it.
0: Right. And Mitch, like growing up with your father in the business, and I'm not sure if he was still in it when you were born, but assuming he was, if he wasn't, correct me, but what was it like? getting into the hobby and having your own father as somebody to like, ha, as a resource, just to his experience. So you could try to maybe not make some of the mistakes that, that that he made or that we've all made as we've gone, as we've gotten our feet wet in the hobby.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I don't even know a world without sports cards. Um, you know, when I was born, my dad still had his distribution company uh, in 2000, we moved to Florida, where he just opened. He had like a regular LCS, um, and you know, my sister and I would just sit in his office opening packs of Pokemon cards, which are, now are worth like numbers I can't even conceive of, because uh, these are like original Pokemon cards back then, and. You know, I like hockey cards. To me, I thought like looked the coolest because they um, back then they they were really shiny, um, and I, you know, the inserts were crazy back then. Um, I don't, you know, they don't really make them like that anymore. So I always liked hockey cards, and I I think honestly my interest in the NHL video games at the time, which I I thought and still to this day think is the best sports video game, kind of helped me appreciate hockey so I would just I have a literal like treasure chest just full of cards just maybe I don't know 50,000 hockey cards um and I would just like re- reach my hand into this chest pull out a card it would be some player I never heard of I read all their stats and then I like just memorize everything and my my love for hockey is uh sustained since then I like other sports but hockey is definitely my favorite sport
0: and you're not you guys aren't Canadian as I am you or less was from the previous episode you guys are American where are you Mitch where are you located where, where
1: are you from and where do you live now yeah so um I live in Chicago I was born in Chicago but I actually spent most of my life in South Florida in a small city called Coral Springs which is about uh 15 minutes away from where the Florida Panthers play um so growing up it was actually like I had honestly zero friends. I had one friend for a couple of years who, had, who liked hockey. Um and he actually I got him into hockey cards too. But other than that, like it was pretty uh honestly like alienating, like being a hockey fan in South Florida. Even right next to where the Panthers play, you just like no one that I went to school with liked the Florida Panthers. I mean, uh, you know, the Panthers struggled so much to sell tickets. Like I remember my favorite is they had one you could actually send in a losing lottery ticket in exchange that for Panther tickets. Wow. So like that's how desperate they were to fill seats. Um so and they weren't any good. Uh, they, you yeah. know, they, they, before this year they won their last playoff series the year I was born nineteen ninety six. so I'm, uh kind of young for uh people in the hobby in a relative sense.
0: Al, where are you uh, where are you located?
2: Well I'm in Florida still I'm actually moving to Chicago next week but I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. So okay. I was a Red Wings fan growing up and always been a huge hockey fan. My dad used to take me to the games, and I remember going to Gordie Howe's last game at the Olympia, the whole thing. And as a matter of – I was just thinking of another story, though. The, the jersey that Mitchell's wearing right there is the Winnipeg Jets. It's the t Uh It's actually his second year, but it's the Stanley Cup year. Um, I got that, jack, got that jersey. I, I met a guy named Andre Cornoyer. He was Yvonne Cornoyer's brother. And I met him at the National in 1990 or 91, and I started sending him boxes of the Pokemon cards that Mitchell mentioned and trade for jerseys. And he would go to the uh, the line and he would get any player I wanted with any name or anything I wanted on him. So I got Solani and Lemieux and Wah, Gretzky's, and I got four different Gretzky's, you know, every team he was on and all the jerseys I wanted and, and trade for Pokemon cards. And so that was just another side story. <laughs>
0: well, no, it's, you mentioned that but someone actually made the comment, uh, in the chat here about the Jersey. I, I can't see it right now, but Oh, right here. David G says, Oh my God, what a Jersey. And of course, I think you're wearing that for, for my benefit, Mitch, cause yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm from Winnipeg originally and team with Solani is my, my favorite professional athlete of all time. So I, I thank you for wearing that Jersey tonight. Uh, uh, if that's why you, you did in fact wear it. Um, yep. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to go to a few quick comments here. I want to say hi to Jake. Hi to David Kaplan, uh, Colin Murray. What's going on? Skeppy, back to Les, uh, sending that money to Hong Kong. Says, if I couldn't fly there, I would just have sent a friend. All expenses paid and a day vacation. There you go, Les. That's an idea for you. And Les pays back the compliment to you, Mitch. Says, uh, your PC is amongst one of his favorites. That's really, really nice. Justin Vick says, cool dad. My dad would ban me from cards whenever I did something wrong i i hear that and it looks like we have another member of the family in the chat here i guess you have a brother ben and, and you al have a son ben says uh, as al's other son who plays and collects magic cards i find this very funny <laughs> awesome says uh, he says i'm mitch's younger brother and i rebellious rebelliously collect magic the gathering cards well hey collect what you like ben and welcome to the chat i hope you enjoy this episode with your your father and your brother uh baz back in the house what's going on Michael Ham, great to see you again, buddy. Hope to see you at the National about a month from now. Colin Murray lived in Coral Springs and went went to Panther games when tickets were $5 and free parking in 2010. That much resonate with you guys. Uh, Carlisle Road, Carlisle Rude, I think, says, I have tops team sets of the Atlanta Flames, 1973 to 79. Chad Shipper, just tuned in and heard Red Wings fan, hooked already. Good stuff. Hello, Chad. All right, so Mitch, Tell us what you collect. It's funny, it's it's a coincidence that you're coming on after Les who collects high-end auto patches. You do it too, but a little bit differently. Talk a bit about your approach to collecting and what you do collect, and then we're gonna talk about what you don't collect.
1: Sure. Um, okay, so um, you when know, I actually when I started really, you know, having a PC and didn't just, you know, get all the you know, tubs of hockey cards, um, I wanted Every Martin Brodeur card that I could find, Um, and I still have my collection. Uh, I haven't uh, touched it in a long time, but I had like you know maybe 100, 150 Martin Brodeur cards. Um, And then as I got older, um, and I'm talking, so maybe this is like age like six to eight that I had like just wanted every Martin Brodeur card. Um, And then as I got older, I really wanted autograph cards, but I couldn't you know I couldn't get the Martin Brodeur autograph cards. Um, so you know, my dad and I would open SP Authentic primarily. That was like our go-to box. Um, and then something happened in 2005, 2006. Um, Upper Deck made this product called the Cup. Uh, my I remember when my dad told me about it. He like he he couldn't believe it. he's like Mitchell there's this new product. It's three hundred dollars for one pack. Like he just couldn't wrap his mind around it. <laughs> That's how much the price was for Upper Deck the Cup when it came out in you know, 0506. Was, $300. Um, and so he was like, if, if it's $300 for one pack, I remember him telling me, I'm like, here's this card of Chris Drury. I, I pay $8 for this. It's from this product. It was a Chris Drury 0506 signature patch. And to this day, I still think that is like the nicest looking set I've ever seen. Um, it was my favorite set. So I will, so we found like, um that was the first one we got and i think the second one we got was robert esch for like twelve dollars so now we have two of them and i didn't even know at the time how big the set was and i was just like dad we got to get all of these cards and i knew so the, the three big ones are crosby ovechkin and uh gretzky um i have all of them right
2: here um sorry, sure. up. what's that out well, Mitchell, what's the biggest card? The hardest card to get? The rarest? Well, I'll, I'll get to that one. So
1: <laughs> these are the three like most expensive. Uh, so and, and the cool thing about the Crosby and the Ovechkin is, is that they're game used. Yeah. Um, so people that don't know, um, Crosby and Ovechkin are uh, two of the only players to have all their cup cards to be game used. Miko um, Koivu is the other one, I guess. Upper deck. Rookie
0: wise, yeah, and you're talking
1: rookie wise, of course. Yeah, rookie wise. Rookie um, wise. And Miko Koivu is the third one. Um, so those were like the big cards. And back then, I, I think we got, and, and you know, the prices today are obviously so much higher. The like Crosby and the Ovechkin were like $300 each. And then the Gretzky, I think, was $415 or something. And that was like an insane amount of money back then. Um, and then so eventually we finished the set, except there was one card. So we finished the set probably 2009. It's an 86 card set at the time. There's only 82 cards on the checklist. Um, but we found out there's a Henrik Zetterberg, a Bore Salming, um, and a Dominic Hasek, who's a redemption that are not on the checklist. And then there's a, another card that I saw. I thought I swore I saw it like one time when I was like browsing eBay sales in like 2007 of Peter Stastny, but I never saw another one ever again. and uh, but I, I was like so confident it existed. And then you know fast forward to 2014 we like think we're done with the set and i've just like given up on the stastny like maybe i dreamed it and like, i saw one for e I'd, like go on ebay i like called my dad I'm like dad there's a peter stastny available and i think like we got it for like eight dollars and our max no, bid was, 210. Like, was it 210? okay i yeah. thought well our max bid was like 500 dollars or something um and then you know back then you know, it was kind of a secret um that that was a short printed card because uh, there's no way there's, it's never got 75, but there's no way that there's more than three or four copies. Um, so that was like, you know, we we finished that set. That was like my big, like, OK, no one has this. As far as I know, no one else has ever completed the set with this stat um, So that, and then from there, you know, I've just wanted more like patch autograph cards. Um, and that's what I collect today. So right now, I'm building two patch autograph card sets the 0607 cup um, uh, signature patch set, and then the 0405 ultimate patch autograph sets. Uh, I still buy like a very specific like range of cards that I'll buy that like patch autographs mostly from the cup. Um, I have a rule that I won't buy any card that there's more than 100 copies of um, because then I feel like it's just too accessible and then there's no fun in chasing it. Like any card you can buy like any day of the week is just There's zero fun. That's like buying a stock to me. Um, It has to be fun. And if it's not fun, then I just, it does nothing for me in terms of uh, what I want out of collecting cards. Um, So first three years of the cup, any patch autographs of a player um, that's like half decent and it's like a good patch or it doesn't even have to be a good patch all the time. Like that's what I collect, Um, the rare the better, um, Yes. That's what really gets me going, I guess. <laughs> well,
0: you've picked some great sets. I mean, the 506 signature patches, <clears throat> I've owned I've owned all those cards. I don't own, like those three, I don't own them anymore. I wish I never sold them because they're wonderful cards now. Well, they were wonderful back then, but now they're just more valuable. So obviously I'd like to still have them. But the 405 ultimate patch set, I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a dark horse of a set because that was the year of the lockout. So a lot of people kind of ignored the hobby back then, but Upper Deck really stepped up and came out with some pretty cool products, and the ultimate collection was one of the one of them. I mean, just some yes. amazing cards from that set. Yeah, like that is just that is just beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. Like I love it. I just love it. I had a Gretzky Kings card from that set, which I don't have anymore. Wonderful. And then you're also doing the 06-07, the second year of the Cup, which is another set that I just love too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's stunning. Stunning. And what a great card. Yeah. I love it. We're, 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 we do, we are card brothers on that one. I happen to have a copy of that Gordy, how myself. So yeah, good stuff. Now, now, and it's funny because Eugene makes a here. He says, waiting for Mitch to discuss his dislike for young gun. So let's get into it. Cause I said at the beginning, I said, let's talk about what you do collect, but let's also talk about what you don't collect. And you mentioned to me there's two classes of cards you don't collect or two types of cards i guess i'm not going to spoil it why don't you talk about uh what they are before you do that i just want to bring up rich's comment here ultimate collection has some of the nicest cards in existence well 405 series was exceptional yeah i uh i hear you on that so mitch let's talk about what you don't collect now
1: yeah um so um the two types of cards i don't have any interest in um are one graded cards um, if I needed a card and it was in a slab, um, I haven't run into this, but if I did run into this situation, I would crack it. I just, I, I think we're clunky and ultimately it's just like another guy's opinion of what, what he thinks of the card. As long as, you know, to me, as long as the card doesn't have anything distracting is like the term I use, then I don't really care if there's like a little edge wagging or that. like to me, it's the same card. I think like people like. Finding these micro chips and like like under a magnifying glass that no one can actually see, I think that's um, to me. I, I I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I think it's kind of ridiculous um, for that to be the difference of th- sometimes thousands of dollars between like a PSA nine and a PSA ten. Um, especially because, uh, as you know, the grades are not replicable. You can crack it and you get a different grade every single time. So, you, you know, you're paying so much money because you got the right guy's opinion that day. Um, to me, it doesn't really make any sense. Um, and the other type of card that I don't collect, and it's not because I don't like these cards. Um, I just don't think they're worth the premium that they command or rookie cards. Um, so, like, for $200, I, you know, you can get, like, a nice, like, Patrice Bergeron limited logos, or you can get, like, a, uh, like a young gun of, like, I, I don't know the market well enough to know like which whose young gun is two hundred dollars. I, I don't know maybe John Tavares. Uh, I, I don't know, but I I, I don't even know like. I, like but well, yeah, the,
0: they come out at two hundred, but within a year yeah. or two, most most young guns start out. It, the good even Lafreniere was before he hit the ice, his card was on for four hundred dollars. I think you can pick up his young gun now, probably for fifty bucks. I would guess I, I wouldn't pay any more than that for. I wouldn't even pay that for one right now. Well, maybe I would. I think he has upside, so but I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah.
1: So okay, so like even like um if we use like Connor McDavid, for example, um I, I don't know exactly how much his young gun sells for now, but I know it's several thousand dollars. Um I, I think it's probably at least twenty thousand copies of the card. Um if you look at the pop reports of Beckett and yeah, it's probably probably higher. Uh I know that they printed extra that year for McDavid. Um so like to me, there can't be that many of a card. And it like, you know, because to me, it seems like, to me, it seems obvious that eventually, you know, no matter how good Conor McDavid is, there's just too many of the card for like, you know, enough people have that card that want it, then the the excess will go down. uh, Yeah.
0: And and we see people that stack like dozens of them too. So they eventually need to dispose, I think, when you're stacking that many and is there going to be a market? I hear, I hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm not, I'm not high on young guns myself. So I'm definitely with you. I do think there is there is still value in holding certain cards that are that are more commodity like, like a young gun. Al, I want to go, I want to ask you, uh, I want to, you know, based on what, what Mitch was saying, I want to get your opinion on both of these things. Cause you've been around the hobby for uh as long as I have. You know, I've been I've been in this hobby since the early 80s. You've been in, I guess since then, maybe even longer. But as far as I know, you got into the business in about eighty-nine from the sounds of it. So You've seen the whole, you've seen this, this evolution, two things, one being um, the, the supply, the overall supply of, 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 these common cards, like the young guns that come out today, the McDavid's, the, the Mike Trout updates, the, the Luca prism silvers, you know, all these cards that are printed in, in, in large quantities, do you like people often have said recently that, you know, we're heading into another junk wax era. Uh, based on all these different parallels coming out, do you see? And we this isn't something that I, I told you I wanted to talk about, so you know, forgive me for that. But do you see any parallels between the you know the eighty nine to ninety three era versus what we're seeing in the last few years?
2: Actually, I would say that junk wax, in my opinion, is more associated with the volume of just packaged product. They just go to the print machines and they run and run and run. I think what you're talking about is more like junk inserts versus junk wax. Junk wax to me is more of the bigger picture of how much pro set and some of those companies used to just make hundreds of thousands of cases, if not more. And today you're talking about inserts that are still only randomly appearing unless, you know, I mean, I have got stories about how inserts appear otherwise, but um, if in today's marketplace, if you're talking about a, Young Gun Connor McDavid from 2015, and there's 50,000 copies of it. Where did they come from? Because they're only randomly inserted, what three Young Guns per box or something? Yeah. So I don't know, like how many, how many can you, how many can you get into the marketplace? How many boxes were created if you just do the math and you know look at it that way? So that's yeah. different. And to me, they used to make in the, I mean, old days though they would make wax just so they would have more product to sell. Like, I think it really started when Shaquille O'Neal came into the industry in 1992, 93. That's really when I saw just incredible quantities of product being printed. But it was really in in that time, though, all you were getting was the rookie cards. You know, Mitchell doesn't collect rookies, but there would be nothing for him to collect. There was no real inserts. There was nothing like there was a couple of parallels and a couple of insert sets, but there was never autographs or anything that was really worth chasing. And the boxes were also very inexpensive. I mean, I clearly remember buying boxes of like 89 score football and 89 pro set football for $15 a box and buying cases, you know, for $250. And it's unbelievable how much, like one pack, like I was saying to Mitchell, even in 2005, one pack cost $300 of the cup. And that was crazy. And now I look at some of the prices of packs today and I'm like, wow, everything is expensive. An average box of like Prism football or something is $300, it looks like. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. What are your so? What are your thoughts on great on how grading changed the industry? Again, you were like myself in the hobby before grading was a part of the hobby. What do you think of grading? And, and kind of, kind of like uh, speak to Mitchell's uh, position on grading if you want, and just what how does yours relate to his and your well, thoughts on it overall? Of
2: grading, this is something I didn't tell you before, but <clears throat> I worked for the first grading company in the baseball card industry as well. It's called FGC, and I was out of Vernon Hills, Illinois, with a guy named Joe Merkel. And that was the first grading company. They were a pre- precursor to the PSA. Um, and as far as that goes, I thought at the time it was a fantastic idea because it was mostly they were grading vintage cards and, and verifying the authenticity and, you know, if people had trimmed them, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think it's more because the dollar amounts are so high. And I see that the, these tech people in California are just investing in graded cards and the reason that they're buying the graded cards is because they feel that that's a safe commodity type item that an objective third party has said okay this is a a 10 you know grade of a 10 and it's authentic autograph etc so they're investing in it i think that grading has created a tremendous false value of some of the cards in the marketplace i think that eventually all this grading stuff like mitchell said you're going to go to a population report and Luca Doncic, 19 or 2018 rookie card and there's 50,000 PSA 10s. And even though they sell on eBay for $500 or whatever they're going for, at some point the the reality is going to hit the world. And that's what yeah, I, as yeah. far as that goes, as far as the grading goes.
0: Yeah. I I, I understand that perspective. And I think that, you know, that, that's a, that's a good example of it. Is that Luka Doncic when you've got literally have people with hundreds of PSA 10s in their, in their inventory or their, or their collection, their stash. I don't know what happens to that card. Once that person decides to sell those, or, you know, maybe they're going to, I remember, I mean, Al, you'll remember this in the early nineties, people were stacking 50 rookie cards of every player in just in those, those uh, clamshell or those snap, whatever those snap type holders were, right. You, you buy, you could buy a lot. You could find ads in Beckett and sports collector digest. You could find these, these ads to buy a lot of a hundred Mike Mussina upper deck rookies, right. For however much it was, people were doing that thinking that they were then going to sell that as a brick as well, or one by one sell them. I think we're in the same situation now with, with the people called it, have been calling it the junk slab era because there's just so many slabs out there of cards that aren't really worthy of being in slabs. So um, I wonder if uh, you know, I, I think you're I think you guys are right on some cards and it doesn't apply to other cards as well, because some cards are rare and do need do benefit from that uh that third party opinion on what the card is uh what condition the card is in. So
2: I think it's better for authenticity purposes more so than the condition. That you yeah. know that it's actually a real it's a real issued card and someone it's, just yeah. it on a laser printer.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the authenticity is 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 kind of a precursor to the grading and then the grading, especially on a card that is old, I see it I see more value to it like, you know, on the older cards where you can um, you know, where and the reason why grading came about in the first place, people were the computer the, the internet, eBay, buying cards sight unseen. So it's nice to know what that card condition is if you're not buying it in person. If you're buying it in person, then the whole buy the card not the great thing seems to to really it, it really hits home with me so but i definitely do see benefits to grading and it's be, you know what the other thing is that it's just it's become it's become a, a huge part of the hobby bigger it's bigger in the hobby than bubblegum is so i don't know <laughs> the bubblegums around anymore but you know what i mean it's taken over for for all intents and purposes
1: jeremy i do want to add um if if i was to collect vintage cards i do think it's very valuable for Vintage cards, I just don't collect vintage cards. Um, but I, I do appreciate vintage cards. Um, but I, if I did collect them, I want them to be graded, so I just wanted to add that caveat.
0: Yeah, no, fair, appreciate that. Colin Murray says, SGC, the superlative grading company, turned into SGC. We know now, is that uh, your understanding as well, Al? Yeah, that's the company that you work for, very so, cool. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty neat. I didn't know that we had. Uh, on the show tonight, somebody who worked with the very first grading company in the hobby. So that's uh, something that I wasn't even aware of until right now. That's really cool. I
2: will tell you, I saw some of the most unbelievable cards working there. Like people would mail in Hannes Wagners and you know the Ty Cobbs and the Piedmonts and all the old and like unbelievable classic vintage cards. I got to see everything out there, it was amazing. That was the best part of the job.
0: Very cool, very cool. PSA ten comes in and says AccuCard was grading cards in 1989. Very good. i ne- never heard of AccuCard, Al. Have you heard of AccuCard? No. No. I guess if someone who was a major distributor in the 90s hadn't heard of them, they must not have been. that. Uh, I don't know how long they would have lasted for, but anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. Well, let's let's keep going, Al, here uh, because I did I did kind of tout this episode as a few Wild West sort of stories in terms of uh, someone who was involved back then, because you did tell me a bunch of things when I met you. And um, let's go through a few. And, and Mitch, I want to keep you involved in this. So, you know, um, if you have anything to jump in with, just, uh, just let me know as we go through. But let's, uh, Al, let's start with, you know, one of the things that collectors these days wonder about is just like how many cards leave, leave the card companies through the back door. If they don't get packed out, they just get kind of sold off on the side, whether they're stolen, whether it's done for the company. Um, you know, I don't know what goes on. Can you shed any light on backdooring on cards that are like the backdooring that was going on in the early nineties?
2: Well, I can clearly tell you that there was one company out of Texas and. They would offer insert cards as a method to buy more cases of the wax. It would be very common practice. Um, I actually have, I, I couldn't find them for the show, but because I'm in the middle of moving to Chicago, as I'd mentioned, but I've got two Frank Thomas cards that are crash numbered. They have the same number on them. And when I received those, I actually called up Kevin Isaacson from the Sports Collectors Digest who called up the manufacturer to find out that not only were there two, but there was five cards that were crash numbered with the same number. And the excuse that they told him was that, in case the person that got it in the pack originally it was damaged, they would have a replacement. And I said, well, what about the other three copies? Well, I, end, I find out to find, you know, i end up in the long run that those other three copies would end up going to a distributor like myself as a bride to purchase, you know, buy a hundred cases of their wax. We're going to throw in a hundred of these insert cards that you can sell or give away or do whatever you want with. And that's how some of that, and that was for inserts in particular. In addition to that, other companies like someone in the Pacific Northwest would offer me every single card that they made, every set that they would they would send me, the whole set, every insert, every single card, all of it included. So I would just purchase more of their cards. And then it also led into the promo cards, which I guess would be a, a separate issue. But um, one other factor to get um, cards out the back door were numbered cases. Um, I remember clearly there was a company that had an exclusive deal with Shaquille O'Neal in 1992 to make cards. And the next year they had a deal with Chris Webber the same way. And at that time they were making numbered 10 box cases. And we bought hundreds, if not thousands of the 10 box cases. But then in addition to that, they made these 32 box cases that were not numbered. They were just more wax boxes because it was just from the printer. And then all of a sudden we had just as much as we could purchase available to us to sell to the, to the stores that we were selling to. And then the other way that we had some of the backdoor activity was the actual companies that were hired by the manufacturers to do the printing, just a printer. And the printers would call me up and say, hey, Al, we ran an extra 20% on this card product. If you'd like, I can sell you cases because we know that you buy them from them. We will sell them to you for half the price. So I bought some cases like that as well. And that's how some of the product got out the back door. As far as employee stealing, I didn't really encounter that too often, um, it's, you know, from an, the manufacturer side of it. And then lastly, but I could always call up a manufacturer and ask them what kind of a deals that they have. And they would always find something to entice me to buy more product from them, whether it was insert cards or autographs or something at different times. So that was how a lot of product got out the back door.
0: Okay, so I, I, I'm going to ask and no pressure to answer, but you kind of mentioned the regional location of these companies. Are you will, are you able to name these companies?
2: If you'd like me to, I guess I have no loyalty to any of them anymore. No, One fair. was I mean, Pacific and um, Pinnacle was probably the most uh, guilty of, of finagling some of the stuff. I really don't want to um, talk about the companies that did with the printing per se, just because of that's kind of backdoor stuff, whatever, but um, Pinnacle did the most with the inserts. They were the ones that had the, 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 the Frank Thomas cards and I, I'll find them and I'll send them to you, I'll show you pictures of them. But um, Pinnacle did a lot of stuff that was underhanded. Shady. Yeah. Um, and then there was another company in Bannockburn, Illinois, Leaf, the Leaf Company, they would uh, entice me with Frank Thomas autographed items. Okay. And one of their wax.
0: And what company was it that did the, that that you said had the shaquille and chris weber uh, deal
2: well that was classic games okay okay and they had the exclusive with shaquille o'neal and that's really what helped my company really take off was that my partner was dating the woman that was head of logistics for classic games in austell georgia and when the shaquille o'neal wax came out you could not get enough of it no matter how much you had you were selling anything with shaquille o'neal and we got over a thousand cases before some companies even got any, and I knew it was wrong, but we just kept getting them in, and it was crazy. It really was crazy.
0: Mitch, Mitch, like you know, as a as a modern day collector, hearing this, I mean, this is, I think, it's somewhat before your time, but like, what goes through what goes through your mind when you think about you know these sort of the, the history of the hobby and some of the ways that these companies were were uh, some of their strategies to just put more product out there probably to the detriment of the of the of the collectors themselves, because even back in the early 90s as collectors, it was about the money. You know, sure, there's people collecting, but everybody who's spending money on cards is, still has that fiscal kind of responsibility going through their mind as they're buying these things. So what what's what's your take on this here in this these stories?
1: Yeah. I, so I heard these stories growing up my whole life, and I think it definitely had a big part in kind of shaping my hobby philosophy um, and, I, and i think that's why i'm so allergic to cards with high print runs uh, it's just because i'm maybe hyper aware of you know how big the hobby was in the early 90s and how hard it crashed um i mean even you know even today you know it's a shame really because you know it would be awesome if you know yarmir yager or dominic hashek players like that had like these really like high value, scarce rookie cards. Um, and it can be, you know, as a hobby, we were robbed of that, um, uh, because of how much they were overprinted. And to this day, you know, it's a shame that Yarmouk Yager rookie cards are basically worthless. Uh, even Martin Bordor doesn't have any valuable rookie cards, and to me, that's like a huge shame. Um, yeah, so yeah who you yeah, who you're wearing, Pavel Bure. I mean, there's tons of them that just don't have valuable rookie cards because they were just printed so much so it definitely shaped a huge part of my hobby philosophy
0: yeah no doubt no doubt and i I think probably for the better uh for you um i want to al you had mentioned to me something about and this is a very popular card in the hobby to this day so i want to hear your your knowledge on this the the 1994 upper deck baseball i believe i forget what product it was exactly but there is a dual autograph of Ken Griffey Jr. and Mickey Mantle. That is to this day, a very popular sought after card. I see it on Instagram weekly. Someone's posting it for up for one reason or another. You have a story on this card. Can you share
2: it? Yes, it was 1994 Upper Deck Baseball Series 2 hobby. It was 20 box cases. We'd get in, you know, 50 cases, 100, whatever quantity of cases. But the thing was back in the day, When Upper Deck made those cases, they had the autograph, the Mantle or Griffey or the combination autograph, one per case. And of the 20 boxes in the case, 19 of them had shrink wrap where the Upper Deck logo would be to the right, and one box, it would be slightly to the left or slightly different. It was very clear and easy to see that one of the boxes shrink wrap was clearly different than the other 19. So my guys that worked for me in the warehouse would always open up a fresh case as we were distributing by the box. Typically, most people did buy full cases sometimes, but then typically with single boxes or a couple boxes, they would take out the box that had the autograph in it. And we would know it was clearly different and bring it into my office. And I'd probably open it and, you know, do something with it. Like myself, if I would say to a customer, you know, spend X amount of money, I'll give you this autograph mantle card or this autograph. But the fact of the matter was it was clearly different than the other boxes and it was easy to determine which one it was. I mean, I can tell you right now, if you're the sealed case of 94 upper deck baseball, we can show you which box has the autograph in it.
0: I mean, that's something I don't know how many people know that the box with that autograph is distinguishable from the other boxes. Was that was that common knowledge back then or or is it co- is it common knowledge now, or are we breaking something here tonight that not very many people in the hobby know about?
2: Um I wouldn't know other than, you know, my own knowledge of it. So to me, it's common knowledge, but maybe it is uh, a secret. So
1: I've asked people this before that are, you know, kind of deep into the baseball and the um, people that I've asked were completely unaware of it. Uh, Maybe like now someone else has, you know, brought this back to light. I mean, I don't know how many cases remain of the products. I don't know how useful the information is, but I mean, maybe there are still a bunch of them, but I kind of doubt
2: it.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're I think you make a good point, Mitch, that like, if most of that product has been cracked by now, this information isn't very in, it's not useful, but it's still interesting, you know, and Al, I mean, some people are going to watch and they're going to hear what you just said about how you know, you would, they bring the box into and you'd open it up like, you know, some people are going to think that that wasn't the right thing to do. How do you how would you respond to those comments right now that I know are going to come?
2: You're right. I, I guess, you know, looking back at it, objectively speaking, um, the hobby or or whoever was buying from us should have had the same odds of anyone else of getting that box. But I guess because of some of the other, I guess there's no excuse for why it happened. Um, I would say that it was probably along the lines of some of the other stuff that was going on in the hobby with the insert autographs and, and different things of using them to Generate more sales, and perhaps at, at that time we just looked at it as an opportunity to offer a customer something—a really nice gift for purchasing more product from us. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I know. Like when I owned a card store, we would never search the boxes. We put out the packs, and we want the customers to get the pack with the good autograph in it. But on the, on the distribution side, I, I don't maybe because we were just going through thousands of cases. The guys would automatically. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I guess looking back on it, it was a little. I don't know if it was sleazy per se, but I, I guess, you know, it would be a, a reasonable comment for someone to make at this time.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair response. And, uh, and I, think, I think that, uh, you know, we learn as we go and, um, and that's all we can do is, uh, is move forward. And so I uh, appreciate you, you addressing that uh, in any event. Um, let's i'll talk about promo cards because it seemed i remember when promo cards i remember the brett hall promo from pro set hockey i remember the gretzky and patrick wah promos from upper deck hockey before upper deck hockey even existed and these things were very highly hotly pursued and very interesting to people um what's your recollection of kind of the, the beginning of the the the, and promo cards nowadays, like people don't care about them. Promo cards are nothing. They're, they're now show cards. People really don't care much about show cards. But can you just explain to people who weren't around by then just how big the promo card business was back in the early 90s?
2: Well, I will tell you that in 1991 at the Anaheim National, I'm walking up to the place, I'm pulling up to it from a cab, and all of a sudden I see hundreds of people gathered outside in these groups. And they were like, pulling and buying and trading and stuff. It was all promo cards. They went inside and the manufacturers were giving out promo cards. I remember the most collectible one. There was a four card set with Looney Tunes and Nolan Ryan. It was from Upper Deck for Upper Deck Baseball. And people were just paying like $50 for a promo card and this and that, and people were going absolutely crazy. And that really is when it started. And then being a distributor, all the manufacturers would ship me boxes filled with promo cards to give away for their upcoming releases for us to do pre-sales on. So I accumulated just, we we would get thousands of promo cards. I mean, we couldn't even give them away fast enough. And we ended up just with a huge pile of promo cards to give away. But it did really generate a lot of interest because back then a promo card was almost like an insert because it was available only through distributors in some stores, everyone else, you couldn't get them. So if you collected, you know, Griffey Jr. and he was the promo card, you wanted that Griffey Jr. card. And Upper Deck was smart because they used people like Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Reggie Jackson. They used the top athletes, Joe Montana, and so that they always gave away good promo cards. And so, yeah, there's no interest in those cards anymore, but back in 1991, it was like gold. It was
0: yeah. insane. Yeah, I, I, I glad, I'm glad you point out that Upper Deck used those kind of, you know, the better players because I, I that now is starting to – I'm starting to remember that and remember the feeling or the thought I had that hey, you know, you've got these promo cards. I think the Upper Deck baseball promo card that came out was really wasn't he one of the part owners of Upper Deck I can't think of his name right now, but not a very enticing card and then they start but then they started using better players like Gretzky, Patrick Ward, Joe Montana, Reggie Jackson as you mentioned. I also seem to recall some other promo cards from other companies that weren't very uh, attractive in terms of their collectability but the cards were nice what were you going to say
2: no i was going to say actually mitchell was a baby we went to jamaica it was 1997 an upper deck spx came out and the promo cards they made were and, and that was when they had the holograms You moved the cards and the promo cards were michael jordan and penny hardaway and i brought a box of 50 michael jordans with me to jamaica on the trip and i don't think i spent a penny i bartered with the Jamaicans for everything that we got on the trip were the Michael Jordan cards. So that's the power of the promo also.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Okay. I'm going to go to a couple of comments here. Um, Skeppy asks uh, what about 1996 select certified baseball? I think people will be disappointed to know how many more mirror cards are out there, especially gold. I've heard of this too. Are you familiar with this product Al?
2: I know the product. I don't know specifically that they made additional cards for, and I don't know, which cards and which sets they actually did overprint on or make five of every copy I just know that there was the one card that I checked in on and that was in particular that they made five copies of but I can't say any specific products like 1996 select certified baseball whether they did make them you know whether the golds or the reds or whatever were crash numbered in multiple same numbers or not
0: there okay good and then- PSA 10, who's been around a while, says at the 94 National in Chicago, I had several dealer friends who each had 1,000 1993 finest promo sets. Promos were backdoored more than anything throughout the 90s. Seems seems like legitimate to me. I mean, it, it, it just seems like that's the way it was back then. Do, do you concur?
2: It, I would say that they weren't backdoored more than insert cards because the promos were just given out. They were meant
0: to be given out. I don't
2: think that they were backdoor per se, but they were, they made them in excess after that 90, when it first started, it became, Oh, there's a big market here. And then they started really cranking them out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Adam Lynn says, isn't it pretty likely that there are still shenanigans happening from the manufacturers to this day? Any insights into that Al?
2: I don't, I'm not involved in the hobby other than i buy cards, you know, with Mitchell. So yeah. um, I'm not involved in the buying and selling them anymore. So and I don't I, have any direct manufacturer accounts. So I don't want to know.
0: Yeah. And I mean, listen, I'm certainly not qualified to to comment. But my thoughts on it, I'll still share anyway, are just, I, like some of the thoughts that come to my mind are that, you know, the, the cards are so much more valuable now than they were in the early 90s, that the card companies better have some security measures in place that they likely wouldn't have had back then, because of just the value of the cards now. Even a box of Panini regular issue Prism is, you know, whatever it is now, eleven, twelve hundred dollars. A few years ago, that was that was a hundred and fifty dollar, two hundred dollar box sort of thing. So I listen. It's hard. It's hard to think that it never goes on. So, but that's just up to up for everyone to speculate for sure. Um, Al, I want you to talk a little bit about ProSet and Lud Denny. Lud Denny was the founder of ProSet. I never met him, never knew him, but, you know, Brian Gray's been on with me several times. He worked with him. You obviously knew him. I believe he was quite the character. Um, speak a bit to your perspective on Lud and, like, the, again, the impact he had on the, the junk wax era and the hobby and some of the funny things that he got up to.
2: Well, I would say that Ludd would probably be the number one contributor to the entire junk wax concept. I think that the company ProSet printed more cards, 1990 ProSet Hockey, those, those orange boxes, I can see those millions of those. And, and the 1990 ProSet football, in particular, those years that he printed, I saw once a warehouse filled with cases and we're talking a really big warehouse and these were just it was just they were he, he made a joke to me once oh well you just print money so let's just leave it at that
0: what about you know those sets were really known to be filled with error error cards error cards nowadays people don't care about errors anymore I mean there are collectors who still collect error like you know the famous Billy Ripken card with the with the bat the bat knob obviously the 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 F face on there um, still people do chase down some pro-set errors. But what what is your understanding of kind of where these error cards came from?
2: The error cards were intentionally made by the manufacturers to generate more interest in their products. I was told a one person from FLIR told me that what they would do is intentionally make some errors so that then they can make a corrected version and then create a scarcity for the original error cards, like the Billy Ripken, for instance. And then they would make you know, there's the Billy Rip in the original one, then there's the white one, then there's a scratched out one, and then there's the black box one. So they made so many different errors and then they corrected them. They didn't even correct them right because that would create even more, you know, interest in that card. And so when Upper Deck came out in 89, I knew for a fact that they made like those reverse errors and some of the mistakes they made were made on, on unintentional, you know, to make the, more of a demand on their products and to make the first series more valuable. Some of the manufacturers would tell me we're going to send you some of the first print runs with the errors. So they would make it like more of enticing. If you buy a hundred cases of this, we'll make sure you get some of the first print run. So now they have like first off the line (laughs) back then. It was first off the line errors.
0: So Mitch, let's go to you for a second. Just (laughs) talk about these error cards. I mean, I was never a big error card guy. I mean, I sure, I I perked up when I first saw them. I had a shop from '91 to '93 myself, '91 to '94, and uh, you know, error cards were were a big rage back then. But I never thought they were cool. I never really understood them. But for someone who's you know younger than me and uh, and been in the hobby in the hobby very seriously, you know, and sort of speaking on not that you can speak on behalf of other people, but I'm asking you because you do represent a, a, a new. A, a, dem- a demographic in the hobby. What do you think about these error cards and that strategy that was employed back in the day?
1: Um. So, are, are you are you asking specifically about the intentional early '90s error cards or error cards as a whole? I'm talking about intentional errors, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I remember um. You know, like when I was very young, maybe 10, 11, and I was just like, I I would I mean I would literally just like read. Like the Beck every Beckett article about like the hobby, I just wanted to know everything I could. And and uh, reading stories about the Billy Ripken card in particular, I I I thought were really interesting. Um, I, I never owned one, but I thought like oh that's that's just like a cool part of the hobby. Um, I think the other errors that like, aren't as popular maybe aren't um, because they are not as iconic. Um, I I don't have any interest in them. Um, and and then. Um, You know, I'm thinking today, like, maybe some of the modern errors like, might have been intentional. Like, I I don't want to speculate. I mean, there's a couple, like, really big ones from the modern era. Um, The Ryan Whitney cards with the Sidney Crosby autographs come to mind. Um, And then the McKinnon uh, pink young guns. Um, So, you know, I never really considered that they might have been intentional. But as we're, like, going through this, like, maybe. Um, So it's, it's interesting to think about. I doubt it on both of those
0: instances. I think that the people who actually put the cards together just grabbed the wrong autographs for the Crosby one, the Crosby-Whitney, just my thought. I mean, I could be way off on that. I'm sure there will be conspiracy theorists who think that that is the case, and it very well could be. The McKinnon pink shoulder, that's another one. I I think that's a printing error, but hey, could be totally wrong. And if if it was intentional, then hey, you, you got one over on
1: us upper deck yeah well what, what makes me think that is it, these modern examples just happen to be the biggest players that year and I even I, I i don't know if you're aware there's a uh, a dual scripted swatches that has wayne gratsky and yari curry um that was put in a different car i forgot who is on the card that they put there it, it seems like all these examples that i can think of always are the top players which Maybe that's a coincidence, uh, but that, that's what makes that's what is kind of making the like, gears shifting a little bit. It just seems to always be the top players. That's a good you point. Any Crosby cards, they would you know quadruple check that they were the right autographs.
0: You'd think, you'd think. I just don't, I just don't see how that helps the value of that particular card. The McKinnon's another story, but uh, oh, I I hear what you're what you're saying. Flea Market Mixtape says that error cards just plummeted. Yeah, for sure. And deservedly so. I think it was a it was a, a fad that did not last very long. Justin Vick wants to know, do you know the secret of pulling a 1990 Tops no-name Frank Thomas? Al, are you familiar with that card?
2: I'm familiar with the card. I don't know the secret.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I definitely don't know the secret to, to pulling one of those. Okay, Al, you've also been utilized by the FBI in a couple of high-profile sports card memorabilia cases. What can you tell us about that?
2: Well, when I was running Card World in Chicago, the first one was with um, uh, Mickey Mantle in 1995 when he passed away. We had just purchased um, 300 autographed baseballs from a company in, in New York called Madison Sports. And they were mixing in some real ones or some fake ones with the real ones. And then after he passed away they were all fake and then uh the fbi had an operation bullpen and we helped him prosecute that guy with just purchasing more and giving him up you know to that they had evidence but the biggest one was the one in chicago and i forgot the gentleman's name i know his first name was john but um we bought a lot of michael jordan autographed bear jordan basketballs jerseys etc that were all from this company that were supposed to be legitimate and some of them were at the beginning but then they were all fake and the FBI came to me one day and said we need your help to bust this company you need to go buy some more stuff from these guys and I bought it and gave it to them and they analyzed it it was all fake and they made the bust
0: What's it like when you get a call from the FBI? Like what, what, what goes through your mind at that point? Like, do you want to be involved? Are you obligated to be involved? Are you excited? Are you like nervous?
2: Well, raising Mitchell, I got calls from the FBI regularly. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding.
0: Uh, (laughs) um, That'd be your fault, Al. You raised (laughs) him.
2: Now, you know what? I am I really wasn't, I didn't think twice about it because I knew it was ruining the hobby and it was ruining my business. So I was glad to help.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's pretty cool. That that's really neat. So, from your perspective, Al, what's it like to what's it like now? You're out. You I mean you're basically out of the hobby from a from from a commercial basis. You're not running any businesses anymore, but you're buying cards and building a collection with your son. What's it like? That like, and I ask this like very authentically because I've got a son who's young now, three, and you know I wonder is he going to get into sports cards when he's you know in his mid twenties. And and forward, and I of course I hope he will. Uh, but what's it like for you, a guy who was in the hobby? Um, you know, obviously collector as a kid and got into the in the hobby from a business perspective. To have uh, one of your sons, at least, I know your other son's into Magic the Gathering, but to have your son Mitch here, um, you know, really passionate about about sports
2: cards. What's it like for you? Well, for me, it's great because it was a great father son bonding activity obviously we would travel and go to different trade shows and to canada and in different places and buying wax boxes and opening boxes and pulling the cards and you taught mitchell a lot about business and i think that as far as a bonding scenario i don't know if there's a better one i i mean obviously i'm a little biased and i don't want my other son ben to think that i'm not as close to him but Mitchell and I spent a lot of time going to trade shows and talking about cards and, and just, I educated him a lot. He was very interested. He's a very inquisitive. He's a smart kid and he wants to know all about it. So he'd asked me a lot of questions about what happened in the hobby, what happened with this, what happened with that. And so it was interesting for both of us because I had good stories to tell him and he had an inquisitive mind. So um, I really enjoyed, I still do. Like I'm glad that I gave him all my good cards and that he has a great collection and that that's what it should be. And I think yeah, we'll do the cool. same thing for your son one day.
0: It's a perfect situation. It's a perfect result when you have a son or a child or a daughter for that matter. It doesn't matter what they are, son-daughter, who is uh passionate about one of your passions. And you you said just now that you know you think it's one of the best sort of uh subject matters or topics or or area hobbies to bond over. You know, I'm and my mind starting. what would be different? Well, maybe a father-son that started a, a, mute, a rock group or like a musical band together. I could see that being a very bonding experience, but aside from that, yeah, I don't know what else is uh, what else there is beside. I'm sure there's many out there. We're just not thinking cause we're so focused on. Cards. I, mean, I just, I went have.
2: to visit. I just went to visit Mitchell in Chicago two weeks ago and we went to a trading card show. I mean, that's one of the things that we do. Perfect. Yeah. Bobby Burrell is
0: here. Hey, Bobby says uh, cards and family coming together can't be matched. Well, he 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 tells us right there that there's nothing better, too. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, and Bobby, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys know Bobby Burrell or not, but, uh, you know, he's a hockey historian and he's written the vintage uh, vintage hockey card mag- uh, books, a couple of them already. Um, and uh, I don't know if Bobby even has any any kids. I, I apologize, Bobby. I feel like I, I would know that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I, that's what we hope for, right. That's what I'd like to happen and be able I can't wait to take my kids to, uh, Hey, my kids have come to car shows, but they don't know what, they don't know where they are, you know, they're too young, but I definitely look forward to that, um, down the road. So for sure. Um, Oh, Bobby said has a 30 year old son. Very good. Oh, that's cool. Bobby, I didn't think you were old enough to have a 30 year old son. So that's pretty cool. Um. Mitch, was there anything else that you uh, that you wanted to chat about tonight uh, in terms of your your approach to the hobby, what you're collecting and anything else about your dad, your brother? Anything else? I, I'm, I'm going through my notes and like we've covered pretty much everything already, which
1: is great. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, growing up with him, you know, with this constant mutual bond of sports cards, um, I mean, it definitely made us closer. Um, And I I think it, I, you know, I'm very grateful. It continues to, Um, I think it's something hopefully that, you know, I keep with me my whole life. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm very passionate about it. I, you know, every single day I'm thinking about sports cards Um, and, you know, it was, it's kind of an interesting uh, shift because, you know, growing up, I felt like, you know, my dad knew everything about sports cards. And now I'm telling him about all the, like the hobby stuff and he like, can't believe it. So it's, it feels like the roles have reversed, um, but I, you know, I get just as much pleasure. Like, you know, we have, we have a running joke because I used to, every time I buy a card, he'd be like, Mitchell, I want to know all the cards you're getting. So every time I, I buy a card now, I send him a picture of it. And there was like, for a while, he would just say nice. And because he had no one else to say when I would send him a card, but it, it could be like some insane card. Like, I remember like in particular, when I bought this card, he said, nice. So I'm like, well, now I don't even want it. <laughs> but you um, need
0: but that one you need for your set because that's part of your set
1: Well, no, this is probably this is my favorite card i have bought in the last year um for the set for sure um but so i told him I'm like you just say nice every time and then now every time i send him a card he'll send me like this like shakespearean like monologue about how happy he is that i bought this card and I I run a Discord server. Uh, shout out to Hockey House. Um, and I'll send the screenshots um, of like his replies to my random card pickups, and everyone gets a big laugh out of it. Um, so I, I, you know, it's just something where you know, I, I did take a little break um, from collecting cards when I was in college. I, I spent too much money on uh, opening boxes, and then I had no money. And then I was like, all right, I need to, uh, you know stop doing this because this is like i'm i clearly am going overboard um and then so i that was probably like 2015. um i like i just realized i was but or 2016. And i remember i was like trying to get mcdavid cards that um so i just like sold like most of my good cards that i had like by myself which i like i get sick to my stomach thinking back on like how much i sold these cards for like i, I had a mcdavid uh flare rookie out of 50 that I sold for $200 and it just like just thinking about
2: that card I don't know what it's worth today but um or even like I don't know
0: it's, it's just so yeah we all have those uh cards we sold too early that that's for sure I want to show you this is my copy of that Gordy Howe card I don't have it in hand but that's my I actually like yours better yours has uh, those additional breaks but just a. yeah
1: I, so I actually, I don't know if you saw, I actually got this on Hobby Insider. So if I if I didn't uh, sign up for Hobby Insider a couple months ago, I would not have had this card.
0: Oh, very cool. Very good. And that was one you needed for your set. So that's uh, that's yeah. awesome.
1: I'm almost very done. Cool. I need uh, 13 more cards. It's a gigantic set. There's 91 cards in it. Uh, so I'm getting yeah. close.
0: I was working on that exact on, on this set. At one point I was working on it too. I had the checklist and I was like, oh my God, this thing's going to take forever. And then I sold off everything except for the Gretzky, the Howe, and the Lemieux. Those are the three I, I never had the Crosby or the Ovechkin. So I would have kept those ones too.
1: Yeah. So I, I have yeah. all those luckily. So I, I, all the cards that you now are just like random cards where I like, I don't understand why I'm not finding them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to go to a couple of comments here. We're going to wrap this up, I think, pretty soon. But in the meantime, while I'm going through comments, Al, Mitch, think about anything else you want to talk about because I'm happy to keep going. But uh, in the meantime, Josh here, welcome to the show, says uh, promos were still huge when I was getting into the hobby in 1999 and for years following 1999 SP Signature Rookie Packs, which were given to distributors to give out, were huge, Tim Couch, etc., and national convention cards numbered to five, which were parallels from 99 to, nine, to 2004 or so. Still years after that, but they were huge. But they were huge still even into the early 2000s. Yeah, I mean, Josh, I believe you, but I don't remember them being huge in, in the circles I was traveling in, in at those times. But um, but in any event, uh, it's good to hear that they, well, it's interesting to hear that that they were. Mark Santucci likes your Gordy Mitch. And wants to know if uh, you and/or your father are going to uh, are going to the national in Atlantic City next month.
1: So uh, I I contemplated it, um, but we decided to conserve our efforts and instead go to the Fall Expo.
0: Okay, I I think it's cool that you're going to go to the Fall Expo in Toronto versus the National because it's no not as big of a show. But I will. hockey's better i know i agree i can't wait to meet both of you there uh make sure you find me at the show i'll have a booth i'll be set up in november i look forward to shaking your hands and uh meeting you guys in person and um and uh we'll miss you at the at the national though it would have been great to see you there but uh chicago next year hopefully well that's gonna be in your backyard so you'll be there right. for sure we'll you'll be, be there for sure. yeah right on right on and wayne says uh, i remember sergey fedorov of upper deck french <laughs> oh my god i remember it being 300 wayne that card totally yes those packs were hey al what do you know about upper deck french and just the listen i think it's not a secret anymore it came out in in a book called card sharks about what happened with upper deck french but i mean i remember it came out it was 25 dollars a pack i was selling it in my shop for 25 bucks a pack and then all of a sudden they went back to the printing press and it was no longer scarce at all is do you have any insights to add to that
2: actually, i actually i do recall. Um there was a gentleman named Brian Burr, who was the president of Upper Deck. And he invited me out to their office for a day because he wanted to pick my brain about making some new products. And one of the things that we talked about was French version of, of different products, including the hockey. And he said that he actually said the same. He's like, we shouldn't have gone back and made more. It was such a high demand product. Then they just flooded the market with it. But then I also learned going back to our previous stories, I did learn that they made um, The Dale Murphy reverse error, the reverse negative error, they made extra sheets just of that card. Yeah. You know, they had more a- available because it was $125 or something at the time. So they actually made just sheets of that card. Well, that... I know there, was, there was a Sheffield error and a, and a, and the, the Dale Murphy, and they were making just all the one card on the whole sheet.
0: So that that triggers something else in my mind, which is the Ken Griffey Jr. card, the number one card in the 89 Upper Deck that was obviously you know no shortage of copies printed of that but i have heard rumors and i wonder if you can confirm that that card was then also printed just sheets and sheets of that card alone to get more and more into the marketplace do you have any i never
2: heard about griffey i heard about the other guy but not griffey but it's not out of the realm of possibility
0: not now that we hear that about the dale murphy Definitely not outside the realm of possibility that uh, that they might have done that with the Griffey too. Not saying they did. I've just heard rumors and thought maybe. Well, here Mike Zier says sheets of Griffey too. O- okay, but pr- but do you have evidence, Mike? Did you see it with your own two eyes, or are you just saying what someone else what you heard someone else say? And I just say that because it's easy to just make comments, but um, you know, rumors aren't always necessarily true. They do take on lives of their own at times. So. I wonder, but hey, I've heard the same rumors that Mike Zier has heard. And I just wonder if, Mike, you have additional evidence that I don't have or that I've never. And
2: Mitchell, been... there is one Yager yeah. Yager rookie card that's worth something the one that has the upper deck baseball logo on the back. Instead of the hockey, they put baseball and error cards. I don't know if that was on purpose, but they do have them. And so that would be a valuable Yager playing rookie card. Interesting
1: i i don't even what it what do you
2: know that's worth i i don't even i'm not even aware 1989-90 yaramir yaga rookie and they made some in the first print run apparently that had the upper deck baseball logo rather than the upper deck hockey logo for the hologram on the back the little tiny hologram on the back
0: yeah i'm not familiar with that one either um and Mike Zier says, "Ask Tom G. Give me a last name. What does G stand for? And I'll maybe maybe I'll reach out because I don't know who Tom G is unless it's escaping me, Mike. But feel free to DM me too on Twitter or Instagram. Happy to further that discussion and uh, appreciate you, you you jumping in in any event. Uh, baseball card curmudgeon says it's common hobby lore. I think even mentioned in card sharks that '89 Griffies were overprinted and also backdoored." I think the whole thing was over. Yeah, again, it just comes back. My only question is: Were there sheets made of just the Griffey? If anyone can verify that, that's that's what I'm asking about. But in any event, guys, um, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you. Any, but you know, I want to give you the opportunity to bring up any other topics before we. I feel like
1: we might be done. But if there's anything else, let me know. Yeah, I mean, uh, if if you don't mind, you know, uh, uh, oh, you got people, cards to show. Yeah, p- people have been DMing me asking me to show off some cards. Show cards. Show cards. Yeah, so- so, this one, this one, um, this was kind of a meme, but people really want me to show it. Uh, so, this is a, I don't know if you're f- familiar, this is a Danny Heatley uh, Cup All Star Royalty card. It's actually numbered out of two. Um, so, I don't know if you're aware of like this very famous hockey meme of Danny Heatley where he, you know, he has he had 50 goals in 2007. And they made this uh, video where Danny Heatley, it's like a fake, like Danny Heatley commenting over it like 50 and 07 i'm a fn all-star like it is like one of the biggest like memes in hockey so i figured this card if any card ever made my upper deck encapsulates that meme it's this card there's only two of them he's wearing the 2007 all-star game jersey so this is the year that he had the 50 goals i like i saw this card i was like i have to have this card um because like i mean people my age like we Go, go crazy about like when we say fifteen oh seven like there's like hilarious like Twitter accounts that are like parodies of Danny Healy. Um so I had to have this cards I, I had to show that off. Um all right I showed I showed these up. I want to show um also this set um I think is like really undervalued or maybe not undervalued, but underappreciated. Um the 0506 Ultimate uh J- jumbo patches at a thirty five. Uh this I like this is my favorite like just patch set. Um, so I have Leo Vechkin, um, which is oh, a year. Beautiful. I love those yeah. by the way. Yeah. So this is like, I saw this, this was on eBay for months for like $300. Oh. And then eventually I bought it. I bought this in 2020 for $300. Um, I don't know how that lasted. So I had someone offer me four grand for it, um, very recently. So offer uh, you how much four grand. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. I, you know, I'm not i I'm not an investor. I just, I, I buy cards and then I never get rid of them. Um, I just like what I like, that's but this card, this card is like, I don't know how it was all available for so long and then I got the Patrick Wa recently. Um, and then I actually just got this, this week, the, uh, other patch set of Patrick Wah. Uh, this is a, I mean, Jeremy, you know, I, this sold for $45 at auction. Like to me, that's insane. It's a steal. Um, and then oh, I wanted to show this card off. Um, I, I'm not as low on Panini cards as a lot of people. This is the Prime Signatures 101 of Michigan. Um So I, like, this is another card I just like sold I think like very cheaply at auction it was like $400. Um, so I just see cards like that and I'm like that like, to, like I see cards that don't make sense that are very cool and scarce. So I'm like, I you know I have to buy. Like, a lot of the cards I have I, are just cards that I bid on that I didn't expect to win and then people just didn't bid on it and then I won it um another card like that um this one right here of Denny Malkin uh top 10 picks cup 101 uh this is I mean a very cheap card uh, but I think it's a beautiful set Mm -hmm. um uh, you know a lot of them they're like hand numbered I I I don't like the marker numbering I don't know if uh if I have a
0: i have a few cards that have hand numbering because you have no other option but yeah I'm, i i much prefer uh stamped numbering versus yeah numbering.
1: yeah um i wanted to show this card off i i love mike bossy i think he's i mean before i he's actually undoubtedly the greatest goal scorer ever so I, I had this card come into my collection recently the 101 0708 the cup uh patrograph don't care that it's the one color i know it's not fake and it's the only one so you know it's not a better one great uh, card you know, from the same set, this is a, a triple patch uh, Gretzky, Lemieux, and Messier, all multicolor. I haven't mm. seen another one where all of them are multicolored. I've seen a few where like two of them are nice, and so there's like one color. Uh, so I saw this one. It was like a really bad listing, and it was from Slovakia, yeah, like 15 feedback. Um I don't really like mind um, like the bad listings because if it if it's not good, I can get my money back eventually, and if it it's good, then I get a deal. So I don't I don't agree with the philosophy to like avoid those ebay listings because you can always get your money back if it doesn't you know if it's not up to snuff yeah um, yeah and then just a couple of limited logos i feel like i have to show off after lessons episode um i don't have any like his uh, but i have this as uh, one of my favorites mike bossy um uh, i got this one from a private collection recently the guy had like maybe 150 Limit logos and no one had seen them in years um so I, I got this one off of him you know this is to me this is a crazy card uh i mean obviously you can't sign anymore um, that's i think one of his best ones and then yeah, this was a short
0: Passed print. away recently
1: yeah uh this was a short print but the patch is ridiculous yeah
0: that's a great set that there were so many people collecting that set of limited logos i'm i'm aware of a of a gentleman right now who's chasing down that set you know and he didn't start that long ago so that's the nine set and that's uh that's the only vertical limited logo set i believe
1: yeah so I i have like a whole
0: i have a whole stack of those
1: uh i just came out of focus
0: it's okay it'll come
1: back it'll come back yeah um, I, I love that set. I have no intention of ever building it because like you the flare is at a three and I'll never have one. Yeah. So uh, but I love picking them up when I can. So like I'm gonna try to get all the goalies. I, I figure that that's like a realistic uh set. So I, I um I did a post the other day that I called the, the goalie trinity. Um this is like Watt, hashick and Brodert, because uh, yeah. all three of them have like very legitimate cases as the greatest goaltender I actually made a poll right. on my Instagram like who's the greatest goaltender none of them had more than 40 percent of the vote so it's still I like
0: I voted for Hasek
1: I I also believe Hasek is the goat but I I respect both, both. others yeah, yeah. um yeah. I won't argue if you think it's well um so I love those cards um what else do I have? this is you know this i know this is not the most valuable card but it's the only dual patch autograph of these two um and nice. it's out of 15. i feel like this is a kind of card you know if, if they make another run like this is the kind of card that people really chase after assuming they don't make more of these but i don't think they will because like they haven't yet for whatever reason um so i got that card for, like 100 bucks like it's crazy to me
0: yeah yeah awesome man well thanks for that. Is is there some is there is that a is that a, lim- a, a Lemieux Honorable Numbers there? Oh, yeah,
1: I, I didn't even get to, yeah. Okay,
0: I, okay, hold on. Just, we have to we have to respect how I spotted that over there. I knew exactly what it was. That was, Baal. was that good or what? That was good, that was thank good.
2: Thank you, thank you. Very impressive. <laughs> Mitch, why don't you show the Peter Stathny card, the rarest of our set? Okay, yeah, sure. There's I'll only three me. of them in the world. Actually, wait, I want to show something
1: else that ties back to um, the Shaquille O'Neal thing. Because that's kind of how my dad's business.
2: Oh, I, you have the rarest Mitchell. You have the rarest Shaquille O'Neal autographed jersey too.
0: While well, he's grabbing that, I'm gonna quickly some comments here. Mike sounds good. DM me. Colin Murray says from Jack of all trades. Griffey number one sheets. Uh, yes, Mark. Uh, yes, Danny Heatley was with Ottawa. Al has a question. Al, I'm gonna get you to uh, just DM uh, Mitch, and he'll pass that question along to your to uh, to his father, if you don't mind. Uh, Rich, Ultimate Collection, the best. Yes. Bobby Burrell says, sadly, people swear to me all the time. They swear they've seen a full case of 60s hockey or they swear the Griffey sheet. Only pictures can stop the swearing. Right. I've never seen. We, let's see a picture of these things. Exactly. Mark Santucci. I like Patrick Waugh in a Montreal jersey. Yeah, that's his chose. If I can get Patrick Waugh in Montreal over Colorado, I definitely would. Mark Santucci makes the error in saying that Ken Dryden is the greatest goalie. And I know it's, a, I'm just kidding with you. And uh, Hockey Barn says, Sawchuk is the goalie goat. I mean, there's arguments for all these guys, no doubt about it. And I'm just bugging you on the Dryden there, Mark Santucci. Okay, go ahead,
1: Mitch. All right, so, um, so Shaq was uh, um, at my dad's office, and he signed jerseys uh, both for both of them for his rookie season. So this one's for my dad, which is his 2L. Um, awesome. and then, but the one that he uh gave his business partner, I actually don't know why he wrote this. Um, now that I think about it, but it says two Rod,
2: signature
1: FU Shaquille O'Neal, <laughs>
0: hilarious, hilarious. And did you pull out that Stasny card?
1: Well, I i, I looked for it, and, and it, it's like they're just like okay. it would take forever to.
0: No problem. Well, it's the rarest of the 0506 signature patches from the cup, and the one that isn't even on the checklist. But uh, good that you found it. And uh, okay, guys. Well, with that, Al. Any final words from you?
2: No, I just you know what? Just a thought. It's a separate thought, but I tried to collect all the Rick Nash cards from that set at one time. Um, they only made forty because it was a short print. And I think it won- We got up to like eight or nine, but then we stopped. But we were trying yeah. to get all forty of them. But I don't know why
0: I thought of that. That's that, that's <laughs> tough to do. Bobby Burrell says goalie goats have to be divided up by eras—the only fair way. One hundred percent agree with that comment. I think it also applies to non-goalies, but it's uh, hey.
2: George Hainsworth is better than whoever,
0: right? Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can't compare these things. It's like it's just it's impossible with all the way with the way everything has evolved. That's a whole other discussion. Al, Mitch Grotman, guys. It's been a pleasure to have you. It's, a, I don't know, this might be the first father-son duo I've ever had on the show, and uh, that you're both involved in the hobby, and you know, that you're still involved, Al, and Mitch, you're like an up-and-comer to a degree, even though, you're, you're, even though you've been around for so long in the hobby, um, just based on your your age. You're in your mid-20s, I believe, so you got a long road ahead of you to continue in the hobby, and um, I'm, it's, uh, the hobby's better to have you in it, so uh, Mark Santucci likes uh, likes your classic Winnipeg jersey. As do I. We have a vote for Tretiak. We have a vote for George Vesna, which makes a lot of sense considering the trophies named after him that goes out to the most valuable goalie every year. But guys, uh, this was a lot of fun. I, I thank you both for joining. And um, I guess we're, that's it. We're we're going to end the episode. So uh, with that, uh, thanks again. Hang tight right there while I while I end this. And to the chat, everybody, thanks thanks for your engagement. Thanks everybody for coming out tonight for both episodes. Again, tomorrow on Collectible Live on this channel, my guest, our guest will be uh, Reza Aryan also known as Black Mamba Exquisite on Instagram. And he's uh, he's got a lot of interesting stories too. So looking forward to that tomorrow at 7 o'clock Eastern. But gentlemen, thanks again, everybody else. See you tomorrow. And if not, we'll see you uh, next week. Have a great week ahead. Thanks for having
2: us.